Hey everybody, it's Ted. Thank you for listening to Take Note. We're going to start off with a voice memo from a listener and minor celebrity my sister Ada has called in. She refers to a tweet uh, from October 8th at, over at Take Note Pod on Twitter in which I tweeted, MLB, why don't kids and stuff love baseball like they love basketball and football? Also MLB. To watch this game, you must subscribe to the Zephyr 12 Cable Elite Package, and you'll never know what channel a game will appear on. So there's your context. Uh, On with the show. A call from my sister. Hey, Ted. It's your sister, Ada. In the spirit of really awkward communication with podcast hosts, I figured I'd uh, send you a voice memo since I do have your email address. And uh, reply to your October 8th tweet about the MLB with a note about how my husband texted me last night from out of town, presumably trying to log into an app on a phone that um, doesn't have cable in his attempt to watch the the Braves who were having a great run in the playoffs against the Dodgers and uh, say that I laughed really hard because he was desperately trying to get me to step out of the staff meeting to check my email to reset a password so he could log into our cable company account and connect some app to some TV. Anyway, I laughed hard at your tweet. Secondly, I have uh, some feedback from a Maryland listener who placed an order at MainStreetBooksDavidson.com, which led to an exchange of pleasantries via email and uh, some tidbits she wanted to share But there you have it. If you place an order with MainStreetBooksDavidson.com for books, not only will you get Take Note 20, 20% off promo code, but you will also have a at least two degrees of separation way of sending messages to the pod itself. Anyway, call me back or something. Welcome to the latest episode of Take Note. Thank you to Ada for doing our work for us. Hello, Adam. Hey, Ted. Ted, why why does my rice cooker come with a little funny cup to measure the rice? But it but it but a, a full cup of rice in that cup is only three quarters of a cup, Ted. Why does that happen? Well, maybe only maybe you only need three quarters of a cup, and everyone always does a full cup, so they're helping you out there. Why don't they just change the little mark on the inside? Of, anyway, I'm doing all right, Ted. Uh, having some rice cooker issues. Don't even get me started with the little song it plays when when you select jasmine rice. Okay, no more songs on appliances. Can we all agree on that? You know, I thought it was uh, a. I thought it was obvious, but my dishwasher sings a little song. My washing machine sings a little song. I'm all right with the washing machine song. It's pleasant, uh, do you, pleasant uh, enough. Do you make lyrics for it? <laughs> I should. Uh, that reminds me of a, a Laurie Anderson essay from an old issue of Granta, where she talks about the voices of uh, the voices of of household things. It's fantastic. Um, it's currently my bookmark and uh, my copy of Bel Canto by Ann Patchett, and I don't have it with me. I would read you some, but it's things like 
It's things like a washing machine says, hello, goodbye, hello, goodbye. Like it's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> My rice cooker says, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Jasmine, rice is how you are. Uh, no long-term neighborhood borders. Don't forget the cup is only three quarters. <laughs> oh, somebody's been reading how to write one song. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Every episode we do ask each other a, a simple, a simple question that can have so such a wide variety of answers. Adam, what do you got? Uh, overheard. In the corn maze this weekend, a um, <laughs> concerned dad announcing to the um, like the corn maze usher for people that can't find their way out. <laughs> he goes, "I think we're relatively intelligent." <laughs> corn maze usher, a part time. Uh, disaster recovery (laughs) chopper him in that's right get us out of here lower the basket down into the maze i'm shocked Uh, that they had that they were able to find corn maze ushers this year but (laughs) (laughs) okay this is uh this is signage transcribed from uh the fencing studio the fencing studio where my son is taking fencing. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> uh, signage. Broken weapons here. Uh, <laughs> rules of the armory. <laughs> uh, the trash can had a bald eagle and a uh, stars and stripes on it. Uh, those are the only two signs. The rest of these are just things. Uh, kid, a kid's note, like, you know... A cute note to the proprietors of the fencing studio said, thank you for fixing my foil. Um, And uh, this is just a quote from the instructor. Uh, He said, uh, if you get in a real sword fight, your first choice is to run away. Don't get in a real sword fight. Um. Yeah, those are some notes from the fencing studio. That reminds me, um, I just I, I've just finished reading two different memoirs. Um, uh, Broken Weapons Here and Rules from the Armory. Recommend them both. <laughs> uh, how to how to never find yourself in a real sword fight. Right. Uh, the the art of diplomacy in medieval in medieval age. Oh, there should, what do you got, Adam? There should be an uh, Art of Diplomacy book that has uh, two fencers on the cover. We should become book cover designers. Anyway, I've written down this. Um, I was in Chandler, Arizona, um, home of my mother, and also home of the automated the robotic taxi service um, Waymo, which my understanding is if you're in Chandler, Arizona, which is... Uh, southwest of phoenix a little bit it's like a suburb not technically a suburb i'm sure don't at me uh (laughs) city of chandler um 55 plusers you can or yes you can order yourself uh you can order yourself a waymo like a robot comes and picks you up and drives you somewhere anyways yes you you mentioned the 55 plusers 
and um, there's a there's a little there's a section of Chandler called Sun Lakes. So next to like the Intel plant and next to the Waymo facilities, uh, there's an active adult community, fifty five plusers, and I learned that some segment namely my, at least my mother, of the active adult community, refers to Waymos as Wagyu's. Like the, like the beef. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. I, I hope that when I'm 55 plus, I will, I will feel satisfied enough with the life that I've led to get into a, a probably middlingly tested robot car let's let's bleep that out so we don't get sued (laughs) don't at me peter thiel is that his name we got some of those that roll around uh maybe did i mention it at one point uh i think i did a a a a neuro is what we have in our, our fair city yeah and a bike, a bike, bike, a cyclist rode in front of a Nero at one point, and I was just horrified at what I was about to witness. And but, uh, did the Nero eject the passenger from it, and the passenger no. flew in the air and then lowered in a parachute while the Nero self-destructed before it could hit the bicyclist? Yeah, and it, he, he, he hugged the cyclist. <laughs> what do you got, Ted? All right, it's Halloween season, Adam. Uh, we're nothing if not timely on this podcast. Um, so these are these are some some comical headstone inscriptions. What do you call those? I don't know. Inscri- memes. Yeah. Engravings. Okay, you know. I think so the original got... meme, the headstone. <laughs> the original meme. <laughs> this is the world's slowest memes. Uh, the the one in our neighborhood that we really like that a neighbor has is James Blake hanged by mistake. Cracks us up every time. So we we were around the, the dinner table one night and we thought of a bunch of them and I wrote some of them down. So here's what my family came up with. Jeremy Clark, eaten by shark. <laughs> Olivia Cho, moved too slow. Uh, this one's from my seven-year-old son. Jeremy and Kai ate a bad fly. Archie McPhee hit by a tree. I don't know how you by a hit tree. by a tree. No, it's good. Uh, I like that. Another one from Ewan. Abraham Lincoln was very stinking. Bobby McFurtle, death by turtle. <laughs> uh, Otis Nate, he's just great, parentheses, alive. Yeah. Uh, Robert Pohl fell in a hole. Jeremy Gold, extremely old. Uh, Last one. uh, This is in a child's handwriting. Otis Poo Poo tripped on a shoe. I my family's custom comical Halloween headstones. I sincerely liked each one of those more than the hung by mistake that inspired it. (laughs) It's a high compliment in this house. Something about that James Blake that resonates with all of us. Well, well done. Have you been reading? You. Have you been reading your poem, Adam? I have been reading my poem at so North Farm by John Ashbery. 
I just said that as though I was expected to um, provide like some sort of report, and uh, the only thing I could remember was the title and the uh, and the author. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm sitting. I'm sitting here looking at my printed out copy, which I don't know if you've printed out your copy, but I I highly recommend that it, it, as a part of the read the same poem every day for a month practice, because I've I've jotted down quite a few notes and little scratchings and this is and that's along oh. the way no i i printed out the silken tent but i did not print this one out yet i don't know why hubris. uh yeah neither yet we're already two-thirds of the way through the month mm. i mean it is uh i'd say that remembering to read the poem is probably one of the more significant challenges of the read a poem every day challenge i do it first thing every morning hmm yep that's the, otherwise yeah. I wouldn't do it. Interesting. Yeah. See, I'm more of a, a willy-nilly when I remember to in the day. And um, so, you know, what I, I mean, one thing I like about this is, of course, one's relationship to the poem changes day by day, which I think you've made reference to. And new, new things occur to you. And for me, some of that has been in the context in which I'm reading it and... Uh, Today is the latest example. I was listening to, I was driving to work, uh, listening to this band called TK and the Holy Know Nothings. Okay. Uh, out of Portland, Oregon. They've got a new album out. I strongly recommend it. It's uh, kind of boozy barroom country with a little bit of Nathaniel Rateliff, a little bit of, uh, yeah. Uh, a little bit of jingle jangle it's good stuff um but i was listening to their song called hell of a time and uh and uh remember to read this poem which is to i tuck in my field notes so i have the poem on me most of the time so at a red light i pulled it out and this song hell of a time was playing and it's got this really interesting cadence i'm gonna play a clip right now about a year ago this winter, when I hadn't had my dinner, and I was feeling low, just as low as I could figure, as much as I So if you heard the cadence from that song, it's got this bump a bump a bump 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 and I I was reading the poem as I was hearing that cadence. So I started reading the lines of the poem in that cadence somewhere someone is traveling furiously toward you at incredible speed traveling day and night you know it's not perfect but uh that it, that even changed my relationship to the poem again which i thought was really interesting and cool and i might sit down with a guitar and find out the chords to that song and just try to play like the whole thing as a song so that was fun. That was my contextual poem reading of the day for today. That happened today. So has the has the poem changed for you, or are there? Yeah, I mean, do you hmm, do you have theories about the poem? I have theories without without. I don't feel like any of them. I don't feel like there's a right or a wrong. But I like creating a little. I don't know. I, like I don't do that as much. I don't, I don't. I haven't created a narrative that I think it. It is. I. I. 
I would say the 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 moments that bug me bug me more and more. That's kind of one no, thing that what, happens. What moments bug you? Well, there's a there's a line where he says the streams run with sweetness, fattening fish, and I I just dislike and don't understand the how a stream can run with sweetness. To me, there's nothing sweet about a s- stream. Yeah, I think um, that that line is completely. I don't think there's any logic to it, but I love it for that reason. Like I that that's like um. A magical seeming line right like the idea that there could be a sweet stream that yeah, uh fish has, are f- f- that, that, that it, fish would grow bigger yeah. in that stream it has echoes of kind of a land of milk and honey sort of thing going on yeah um i do not disagree with you but it but it hangs me every time and i'm I, you know when you when you're reading it over and over you uh you get you 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 establish relationships with little parts of the poem that you don't think about or do when you just read it once or twice. I would say uh, that, I, that's how I would maybe summarize. You have a relationship with the, yeah. the language and the sections and the the techniques. And for me, that that's more what it's about than trying to um, bring order to the narrative. I don't have a strong narrative drive. Um, sort of naturally so it's not something my brain tries to do i like to this is this is uh embarrassing i think to even mention but i like to both entertain and resist the santa claus vibes of the idea of someone <laughs> rushing to bring things towards you yeah leaving a, yeah. it's a dish of milk it's not a glass of milk yeah. Well, he knows you want to, and I, I, it's not like I think it's a poem about Santa Claus. I don't think it's necessarily a poem about anything, but I think I, I, I do think it is. You know, very possible. I'm not going to say highly likely, but very possible that yeah. some of the language that Ashbury chose to use that that some of it he knew echoed that or had some sort of relationship to that, and that you know, just having this sort of. Um, eerie someone is traveling great distances to find you but you know now that i you know now you could tie it all to that having that eerie thing and then just this idea of something more uh childlike at the end and sort of turning that i like that too i don't know well i mean i hadn't even honestly literally thought of the santa claus connection i think i in my mind there's kind of a almost like a magical lion vibe, like an Aslan from the Narnia Chronicles, kind of pacing over the landscape uh, at incredible speed, traveling day and night. Will he know where to find you, recognize you when he sees you, give you the, give you the thing he has for you? I mean, you know, the Santa thing is all about you're special. Someone has something for you. You've earned it. You're You're worthy. Um, so I think the, the Aslan thing fits into that. Um, I don't know the, the, the idea of fate kind of keeps coming up where it's like this, like I have tended to think of it more as like fate hurtling towards you or even death, you know? Yeah. Uh, And, and, um, the, the farm where nothing grows, but the, the granaries are full, um, 
you, you, it's this safe place. It's this inexplicably safe place. And so the idea that someone's rushing towards you does just feel like a some sort of invasion or something. I don't, I don't know. I, I do. Well, I really do want to backtrack on that Santa I just want to state again I, I don't think that this is a poem about Santa Claus and like I said I was embarrassed to even yeah. say it but that is it's the relationship is that kind of like once that little idea gets in your head like and you read the poem every day whatever that idea is you do have that relationship with it right well like, now now every other time I read it it will be a Santa Claus poem, I, so I wanted to that. ruin it for you before we got too far along in the month <laughs> I will, however, I will ruin the entire month of November for you by uh, telling you that I'm thinking about trying NaNoWriMo again, National Novel Writing Month. We did that a few years ago. Remember those great novels we wrote that, that year? Oh, I was just I was just gazing over at my bookshelf where I have a, a bound copy of that novel that I wrote. I, I keep waiting for your copy to arrive. If, uh, yeah. Finishing writing that novel was so fun, I can so, hardly somewhere, remember. Somewhere your your novel is tra- traveling furiously <laughs> toward me. So uh, anyway, I, I've been entertaining the idea again of doing it just because actually uh, Jennifer said to me, oh, are you going to do it again this year? And I was like, no, oh shit, maybe I am. Like it's it's like if someone says it, you you have to do it. It's a horror movie where if someone says it, you have to no, do it. That's that's this game we play. Once we start talking about it, we then we have to do it. Yeah. So I've been uh, I, I've been thinking about that a little bit and um, kind of reflecting on a few things. I, I've written on our blog a few short posts about writing, including I was remembering the other day Colson Whitehead interview with. Um, interviewed by Ezra Klein about a month ago. And Colson Whitehead says he has to outline all of his books. And how he does that is he has a few words for each page, um, just saying what needs to happen on that page. And then he goes into sort of the, the reason he needs that is because he needs to know the shape of the book before he sits down to write because he's too busy to just, in his life, to just sit down and like wait for a muse. And um, he rearranges the bullet points sometimes to figure out how how it works. And um, so uh, as I'm thinking about this this bullet point thing, and then I'm I'm thinking about a NaNoWriMo, and it's fifty thousand words, and The Great Gatsby is approximately fifty thousand words. And so I, I got into my head, and I figured out how many pages are in The Great Gatsby. How did you know? You remembered the name of the novel I wrote in November. <laughs> Oh, that's good of you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's about the bar in my village called Gatsby's. Um, <laughs> there is. There's one called Gatsby's. It's funny. Oh, um, I believed you. Yep. I didn't think you were making no. that up. Um, hey, welcome to Gatsby's, friend. Saddle up to the bar. It's, it's not at all what you expect. A, I think it's got like a, a mirror, mirror ceiling. I don't know. It's It's... Yeah, you walk in and you're like, oh. Anyway, I don't want to get sued by them either. Uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, it just got me thinking that, um, you know, if he writes a outline so he knows what's going to happen on every single page and uh, Great Gatsby is about 50,000 words and that's the amount that you're going to write in National Novel Writing Month, that you just, all you need is a list of 135 bullet points to write a novel, right? That's how my head starts working. Like there's some yeah. secret mathematical equation to uh, to That's, writing a novel. Yeah. 
And then I... It's just math. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I think um, there was a Franzen interview, you know, again, about a month ago or something, where he just says, oh, you know, like, all I do is... And, and none of these folks are saying it in any way to make it sound easy. I think these great writers can describe it, what they need to do in very simple ways, um, because the hard work that they're doing is, in Franzen's case, he's trying to figure out the meaning of each sentence and how to write it without any cliches. And so sometimes when you hear uh, whiteheads say, well, I just need to, you know, I, I just need to outline each page, a few words for each page. And then you you read Franzen say, all I need, you know, I just figure out what does a sentence need to say? And how can I say it without cliches? Your mind can go two ways. Like you can go, oh, wow. I never think about my sentences on a sentence. I never think sentence by sentence basis. Or you can just sort of delude yourself into thinking, um, no, all I need to do is figure out what I want my sentence to say and write it without cliches. And then I'll just do that a certain number of times. And then the novel has written itself, you know? <laughs> so that's where my head is right now. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I think the, the outline thing seems to me rank survival like understanding how your own brain brain works and what it takes to compel yourself to to build up some momentum to to get done what you realize needs to get done i nanowrimo you know i we've I, i've never finished it so i've never felt what needs to be done even to finish that crazy first draft um but for you know for those who have actually completed a whole book i you know you talk to people who run marathons and they give you all these insane training regimens and how they rest this way before the big day but they built up to it and they plateaued and all this stuff um it it, it has shades of that about it you know <laughs> talking to a tour de france cyclist about how they prepare for a race starts to sound like uh some mix of pseudoscience and and psychology and i think of novel writing probably in a similar fashion yeah i you know it's funny i yeah it just it just occurred to me i did do it once but i've completely forgotten yeah. that right i mean if i think back on it all i can think is like desperation every <laughs> night i would go to a little taiwanese cafe and write until they closed and 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 I had to take off like the last two days of work to finish it and uh, probably wrote like a fifth of it or something in the last two days to finally catch up. <laughs> but so I, I get no lessons from that, except I guess the, the one thing that I've been thinking about in the last few days, but forgetting kind of that it's what I did when I need to do it. I've been thinking about how I need to go through my old notebooks and just capture any little nugget that I liked and yeah any anything like that and jot it down and get it co collect it all in one place and so well maybe that's you know maybe it's something taking colson whitehead's idea and making it your own maybe you go maybe you write down those one line from your own notebooks on a note card until you got a stack of 200 of them and then you're sitting there with your stack and when you when you start to stall out you you flip to a random index card and see what happens. You know, I think that's combining kind of the Colson Whitehead orderly approach with the Jeff Tweedy, um, 
you know, uh, uh, serendipitous approach and, right. and take it from there. I mean, what I, I, obviously I'm not an accomplished fiction writer, but I'm writing this longer thing, which is why I'm interested in NaNoWriMo too, is because I've actually already got a decent amount, more than I've ever written in, on one project before. Um, but I am uh, co- continuously impressed with, by what I came up with. You know, if, if I write something and read it, I was just going back and reading today what I wrote a few months ago, and I'd for- completely forgotten what I'd written. And I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. Um, so the idea that there's no serendipity is not, never true, you know. I right. think even Whitehead probably would admit just saying what you're going to do on a page doesn't, that's just his gateway to the creative process. Right. It's not a solution to hack it and get around it, you know. That's just his way of knowing what he needs to work on that day. Um, so it's, he's got that it's, list. It's so his he knows guidepost he can, yeah. to then, yeah. It's yeah. a constraint, I think, too. Well, you know, when I think about your final fifth of the of the novel you finished, you know, you probably would have appreciated if you'd given yourself some guideposts right. earlier on and you could say, okay, well, sheesh, let me write a bunch, but I'm going to be ending the story where, where the Dracula realizes he can dive off the high dive. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was diving Dracula. I really should go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's You You mentioned something that, uh, you mentioned the cards. I, so I'd also written... Uh, a little something for our blog about Nabokov, who wrote index cards. He wrote, he wrote his novels, or at least some of his novels, on index cards, these on medium-sized index cards. And and what I found interesting was, so Coulson, what reminded me of the Nabokov thing is that Colson Whitehead talks about being able to move them around, right? Um, that you can, you take your little outline and you can move around what happens to figure out how the story needs to go. And it reminded me, I think that's part of why, uh, maybe all of why, Nabokov wrote the scenes on index cards so that he could rearrange things. And as I was looking for, you know, the source for that to write the blog post, I found, um, I found someone who wrote w- w- without a source. And so, I wonder, I wonder what the source is, and I wonder how much truth there is to it. Two things: first, that. Nabokov would shuffle those cards and create some serendipity and see how things um, worked together in an unexpected way. And for whatever reason, that I don't buy that. I just don't know. I just don't know that I buy that. Yeah. And although, you know, probably true, it just doesn't ring true to me. Like, I don't think somebody made this up. Um, then the other thing that he wrote that was, this, now, and Colson Whitehead did say this, but in this blog about Nabokov, they said that, um, part of the reason that he did this was because he had trouble writing middles. And Colson Whitehead said the same thing. Colson Whitehead needs an ending and it needs a beginning and then can figure out the middle as he goes. Um, and again, I find that almost a little hard to believe with Nabokov. Not that he would have had a hard time, but that he would have admitted that he had any sort of hard time uh, writing the middle. But maybe it's a truism of all writers, right? I mean, maybe, again, I... Most likely the blog post is true, although I find it, I just find it hard to imagine Nabokov saying something like that. But I liked that little echo. And I liked, I, I you know, again, it, it makes me think, oh, there's a way that uh, these successful writers have just figured it out. 
Uh, middles are hard to write. I need to figure out the end. Colson Whitehead today and Vladimir Novikov 100 years ago and Jonathan Franzen yep. comes along and just says, oh yeah, just figure out what your sentence needs to say. And, you know, like there's just some equation that you can use. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's incredibly fun to talk about all this stuff, which is much, of the much fun more fun than doing it. No, right. I was talking about it. I like your idea. I really like the idea that you have of uh, jotting down the things from my the old notebooks onto index cards. I think that's great. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. I do have that. You know, I really, I really have that itch to like. Part of me knows that what I really, I have an itch to like. Oh, I'll start a new notebook. I'll get a larger notebook and I'll capture all my ideas down in one place. Um, <laughs> and um, that's where all the things from the. Um, that's from where all the things can live. But what I actually think is like the thing to do is to just, in the, and in the NaNoWriMo how to write a book in 30 days book that I read 15 years ago, they say this, you just start a, a doc file with all of your ideas. And then when you start writing your novel, you write that in a different doc file and you refer to the other one. And I think really that's the way that I believe is probably the most effective way to do it. But as, you know, as stationary lovers yeah. we all want we always want like an excuse to like oh get the perfect <laughs> notebook and i let the index cards are a nice um like a a nice middle ground i think i get to buy well, a bunch I, of I mean, four by six index cards for me i i think it's true to say that a stack of index cards is a closer uh approximation of how my brain works than a a word doc full of ideas you know i'm just uh, there's something i think about having a discrete idea on one card flipping through and sort of having them live in some kind of individual um parameter that is to me is a lot different than an, an online document i mean i i'll find myself even for work i'll pull pull open a a web page and immediately skip over all the text that would actually describe and explain the information that I needed. I'll read right through it, blast, look for some bullet point that is, pro, you know, and I, I even, today I said this to myself, why did I skip all the parts that are going to tell me <laughs> the purpose of the, of this site and why I'm even here? Uh, and I, I, I think I tend to do that even to pages that I make. So I, I have no reason to believe that would be an effective technique for me. And I think the, I love index cards. My dad uh, is a inveterate index card note taker. He always had, always has to this day, uh, a lapel pocket full of index cards that he's always pulling out. Him, he, dad's a regular Merlin right man, huh? He was Merlin man before Merlin man was Merlin man. If there's a system of index cards, my dad has uh, <laughs> has tried it. Uh, uh, good luck reading what he writes. Right. Um, oh, I have that problem too. Reading what I write, <laughs> but so for me, it's a it's a natural thing. I do it for work. I'll if I need to uh, focus on three tasks for one day. Mm -hmm. You know, I might have seven other lists going, but I'm going to pull out a fresh index card and just rewrite those three. So I, I'm thinking about it that way, but for the purposes of creativity, I like that a lot. Uh, one of the <laughs> One of the great ironies of this inspiration from Colson Whitehead is that um, I heard the interview while I was in Arizona. I got a copy of Harlem Shuffle, his new book, to read. 
but I think my novel might involve a heist. And so I feel like I cannot read a Colson Whitehead's heist novel because it'll, it'll <laughs> affect me too much. So I've had to put that book aside. Um, you know, I, I think it was from the Marlon James, Marlon and Jake read dead authors, if that's exactly what it's called. At one point, Marlon fully started discussing uh, sort of like what books he was reading while he wrote one of his own books. Yep. And it was, I, I thought it was wonderful because I feel like he was not shying away from the idea that, you know, oh, you might, oh, yeah, 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 Adam, you're going to accidentally write Colson Whitehead's <laughs> heist novel unless you just literally start verbatim copy pasting. <laughs> You're not going to accidentally write Colson Whitehead's heist novel. So, I don't know. I think if you're writing a heist novel, you should read another heist novel and see see what Maybe. they did and and copy it if you can, just with different characters and different words and different ideas arranged in a different, uh, maybe a different narrative structure. I mean, you don't want to get sued. Um, <laughs> God knows all the legal trouble you went through with uh, diving with Dracula. <laughs> Let's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> let's do this again next week Ted uh, people can vi- visit us on our website which is takenote.space there Lots are some great new blog post content over there yep there are and by the time you hear this we'll probably have dropped that habit so go check us out at takenote.space and see how frequently the blog is getting updated I, I bet there's a, a lot of activity about a week before you're hearing this uh, you can also uh, send us a send us a t- send us a tweet. Follow us on Twitter. Take no pod on Twitter, and uh, I don't know. Write a novel next month or this month, whenever you're hearing Let's this. Do it. We will see you when we see you. <laughs>